But I think we've lost something in our distracted age of wonder, of contemplation, of worshiping the God of all things. And to re-see the world, to see it as God's world, every single aspect of it. Even your computer um, is, is God's computer. He created the ground with its latent potentiality, um, with its silicon and lithium and all those sorts of things to turn into a computer. It's God's computer and it's God's squirrel and it's God's street and everything is God's. And to just try to re-enchant re the world in that practice of slowing down and, and looking and attending to things um, helps guard my soul against a distracted life. Hi friends, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur, and this is episode 14 of 2023. This is gonna be the last one in this run. We're gonna take a little pause, take a little break. So I can't wait to tell you what's coming up next. You can stay tuned to that at the end of this episode. But on this episode, we have Andrew Noble, and he is podcasting as well. And his podcast is called, What Would Jesus Tech? He's very well read on technology and his enthusiasm is only growing, he's saying, as he dives deeper into how to wrestle with technology and think about how to be more like Jesus in our digital world. So he's written on all kinds of things like about wonder as the antidote of distraction. And he talks about how podcasts are like a friendship. So we're going to talk about all that on this episode. But thank you so much to our sponsors who are making this season possible. We wouldn't be able to do it without them, truly. Compassion Canada, who's been a longtime faithful partner to us, lifting children from poverty in Jesus' name, and Scripture Untangled, which is an amazing new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. And I'm involved in that. You might hear my voice on a few of the episodes if you want to check it out. More on them later. But let me tell you a little bit more about Andrew Noble. And a reminder before we do, if you aren't already subscribed on YouTube, if you haven't hit follow on podcast, wherever, whatever the button is called on Spotify or Apple, you know, wherever you listen to this, wherever you're watching this, we would love for you to do so. Send us a note, write us a comment. It's so great to hear from you. And whether we do that in the DMs or we do that in those public facing places like YouTube, it's great to connect with you. And it's a way for you to support the podcast and help others find it. So let me tell you a little bit about the guest today. Andrew Noble, he's a husband, he's a father, and he's a graduate of a seminary with a master's of divinity. He's written for things like the Gospel Coalition, and he served as a labs director for Faith Tech. And he also is a co-host of this podcast, What Would Jesus Tech? So he's now a pastor at a church in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. And he also has helped grow a technology company from seven to 35 people. Talk about startup tech life. And this is kind of a cool anecdote. He was the president of the student union at his university when he was there. So he's a true leader. He's a true thinker and he's a tech guy. So please enjoy this conversation with Andrew Noble. Andrew Noble, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I uh, We connected through a mutual friend. Um, so let's start there. What's your connection as a means of introduction to you? Let's start there and then we'll work our way out. Faith Tech and Andrew Noble, what's your connection to Faith Tech? Well, before it had a name, um, it was just 
James Kelly getting people together. And I worked at a company called Plum, um, which is a tech company. And I worked in sales. I did a little bit on the product side as well. And my friend, James Kelly, same church we were part of at the time, Radiant City Church, he's like trying to bridge the gap between faith and technology. Mm. And he's just talking with these people, talking with pastors who want to get more involved in tech and understand it and also guard their people against the concerns of technology. And then there's these technologists, KW, Waterloo Region. It's one of the highest densities of uh, tech companies in the world. And so he's meeting with all these tech people who want to use their gifts for God glory, God's glory, um, you know the story that James always tells is is the software developers who make things for Google, like making the latest version of Gmail here in Kitchener Waterloo, and on Sunday they click next on PowerPoint. Like, can huh. they do more for God's glory than just click next on? That's an important job too. Um, anyway, so we met at a coffee shop, and I was part of that initial team, and I have volunteered with Faith Tech throughout, um, sometimes as part of Faith Tech Labs, um, just helping, yeah, people who like technology, who work in technology to use their gifts for God's glory. Okay, so let, let's go backwards from there because you've just said kind of a lot that I could pull off of right <laughs> in that first introduction to you. Um, obviously, you have an interest in tech. You've worked in tech. You live in a tech, one of the global tech hubs. Um did, is this just like you were raised in it? How did you come to be passionate about tech in the first place? Is this your educational background? Um, give us kind of like the, the picture of where this came from and evolved in your life. Yeah, well, I was at the University of Waterloo as a student. I met my wife there. I actually proposed on campus. Um, no <laughs> as way. <a> dawn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I love the University of Waterloo and I actually became the president of the student union there for, for a year back in 2012, 2013. And so interested in leadership, interested in becoming a pastor one day, but I wasn't ready to go into ministry as a 22 year old. Um, so, you know, look, looking at the options after that, I was asked by um, Glenn Wepler, the director of housing at the University of Waterloo, if I wanted to work on some projects with him while I worked on my Master's of Divinity degree at Heritage Theological Seminary. And so it seemed like the perfect fit. Um, but one of the projects he gave me was helping the University of Waterloo grow its entrepreneurship ecosystem, especially mm -hmm. for first-year students. And I knew about how much we loved entrepreneurship, but I studied kinesiology, did a minor in religious okay. studies. I wasn't really into tech that much. But then I started meeting with these people, getting these entrepreneurs to live in residence, starting to start this new program for first-year students. And I just started to really love technology. And I started to really hate bureaucracy. <laughs> so okay. working at a university, you can only get so much done. And yeah. so I said at a certain point, I want to work at a tech company. I'm going to join a company that has less than 10 people in it. Huh. Um, so that's what I did. Yeah, that, I, and I that's looked. the, you mean the bureaucracy thing you wanted, like, if it's a small company, you're thinking is like less bureaucracy than the big university thing. Like, let's just yeah. get it done. Yeah. yeah. And I've always kind of been that disposition. Like, even as the president of the student union, I, I was like, this is an opportunity to get things done, not to make myself known. Like, um, how can we serve people and, and do it at scale or, or whatever it is? So yeah, so I, I joined Plum when it was only seven people then. Um, and I was there for four and a half years working full time. And then eventually it was around 35 people. And then I left that to go into ministry full time, as well mm -hmm. as care for my family, which is a whole other conversation we could go down there too. 
Um, so maybe stop there. Tell me a little bit more about Plum. Like just, I'm curious what, I don't know, uh, do I know this company? What did they, or what do they create? So if you apply to Scotiabank to work at Scotiabank right now, for many of their jobs, at least the entry-level ones, you will have to take the Plum survey, the Plum assessment. That will be okay. part of the process and it will come prior to the interview. Um, so, so it's a business-to-business B2B company. It I worked as a salesperson and then a sales manager, ensuring that we would get connected to banks like Scotiabank, Intact Insurance, some of our customers here in Canada. And my goal there is, or, or Plum's real service to these companies is to ensure that people are hired for who they are, not mm-hmm. what their resume says. Mm. And in order to understand who someone is, we ask them to go through this 25-minute survey in order to, and here I am saying we, I don't work there anymore, going right into my sales pitch mo- mode. Um, <laughs> but but the survey is 25 minutes long and it asks personality questions, intelligence questions, and it gives the employer a better understanding of the natural strengths and dispositions towards someone. So I'm an extrovert. It makes sense for me to work in sales. I can handle talking to people all day long. Whereas someone else, they might not be a good fit for sales uh, because they might struggle with that extroversion that is associated with success in that role. Okay. And so then, but what's interesting is because it sounds like there's a bit of parallels with our journeys in that I studied in the same town. I found myself stumbling. I did a business and marketing communications background uh, at Laurier down the street, the Mm -hmm. other university. And then I found myself immersed in a world of tech. Um, The start of the iPhone was about the time that I was there and BlackBerry was huge in those days and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And... um, And then I found like part of my story, people who are familiar with this podcast, but were new to each other. Mm -hmm. um, The story goes that I felt a distinct calling to use those same skills to serve the church as opposed and the broader church, not just a particular church uh, instead of the tech world, not because the tech world was there was anything wrong with with what we were doing in the company I work for, but um, that I was supposed to be called out to do something else. And so, but for you, it sounds like you had a clear calling or vision or interest in ministry before, like earlier on. Yeah. Um, to tell, yeah, so like then these worlds kind of began combining. So tell us about how that all, like you always had in your mind to do ministry. Yeah, there was, so it was, I don't know. It, some people call it the Young Restless Reformed movement. You know, I was listening to these things from Matt Chandler and Tim Keller and John Piper and just getting really soaking up scripture um, mm-hmm. through those teachers, but also just all of a sudden I had this real enjoyment of scripture. And so I started a Bible study um, just on my own, just trying to like take information and I'm just going to, I just want to teach people this. Kind of, I want to give them um, all this great joy that I'm getting from God's word and from God himself, the God of his word. And so that was initial. And then I, yeah, I had a sense that God wanted me to go into ministry, that there's a, in Canada, you can just look at the numbers. There's a lack of ministry leaders. It's getting worse and worse. And this was true back in, in 2009 when I, when I felt this way, but I knew that I was really immature. I was very prideful. I was arrogant. I'll just be honest about that. Like I needed to mature in a lot of ways. Um, and so I decided I'm not going to, there's, there's different routes you could go into. And I, I looked at a whiteboard and I wrote down in three different colors in one kinesiology, that was my degree. And what's my future there? 
Another is leadership. I had volunteered a lot on campus and I was at Dawn. Okay, what's my future there? And then the third was ministry and becoming a pastor one day. So I still want to pursue, I'm a a pastoral assistant right now at Grandview Church, but I looked at those three things and I was like, eventually I want to be a full-time pastor and I want to do it well. I don't want to burn out after five years and I don't want to start doing it as a young hot shot 25 year old so I want to and you grow. said that of yourself like this wasn't like your mentor pastor telling you don't do it it was your own sense or maybe it was a bit of both it was yeah it was a combination of people like my now wife she she and I would talk very honestly with one another about what we are trying to improve on in our walk with God. And she would always talk about improving in, in pride and that sort of thing. And so it, there is just something there. So yeah, so through, and it's funny too, because a lot of my influences early on were through podcasts huh. as well. And I don't know if I would have ha- as deeply grown as I did if it weren't for the podcasts and wow. the audio that I was listening to online. So there was always that that piece of tech there. But yeah, I wasn't that into technology necessarily. I just wanted to do ministry. And so I thought about, okay, I'm going to pursue those bottom two things on the, the whiteboard of leadership and ministry, but I'll go into leadership and I'll work in the secular world, quote unquote secular. Um, one mentor of mine is Don Simmons, um, actually, who you might be familiar with because you were at Crossroads way back when, but he was only there for a time. But he, he, he encouraged me. He's like, just because you want to be a pastor does not mean God also wants you for a time to be in the business world, being a light in that place. And that's who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to just restrict ourselves. We're in the world, not of the world, right? So, so yeah, I wanted to mature in that way. And, and a lot of people have affirmed me in that decision and affirmed me along the way. Even my pastor now said to me that I will be able to speak into people's lives on how to navigate work in a different way because I, I, I did work for 10 years. I wasn't just a youth pastor. And frankly, I didn't really want to be a youth pastor. A youth pastor, <laughs> it's a cool job. There, it's a hard job, but it's a, it's kind of like a glorified event planner sometimes. You're not really discipling people. So I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to volunteer for the church, volunteer wherever I could. I was an elder at Radiant City Church for a few years, which is weird as quote unquote elder as a 20 something. But, but yeah, so I've, I've just enjoyed doing ministry wherever God has given me opportunity. Hmm. And and so I want to get into this stuff about podcasting because um, as people would have heard in the intro I did about you, uh, you have a podcast and um, and your podcast is called What Would Jesus Tech? It's there. If people are watching, they can see it there on your microphone. Um, but I want to go a little bit, I want to go further up before we go deep dive into like what's your podcast, why, why the mm-hmm. podcast itself, because you wrote an article or a blog or, you know, however you refer to it about podcasting, pod, why podcasts are like friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about this. Uh, you said you learned a ton from podcast, like it's, you've already maybe hinted at some of this because you were learning from podcasting, um, you know, a sort of an non-traditional way of learning. So talk to us about podcasting and how that's like a relationship in your life or how you view that in the world. Yeah, it's, I'm just, I'm still trying to put my finger on it because why do we listen to podcasts? What is it about them? And 
they're different than audiobooks because of the way that there's an interaction. We enjoy that interaction. Huh. It's like listening in on a conversation, um, you know, as, as a fly in the wall. And I really enjoyed that hmm. um, because sometimes you get the best thoughts out of two people that are, are, are pressing on each other and discovering things in the midst of that conversation. Um, C.S. Lewis, he's, he's written on friendship in, in The Four Loves and one of the things that he talks about as friendships as unique compared to all other relationships is the way that in friendships, you choose the other person and it's an ongoing choice with the other person. And, and that is not true of your employer. You're kind of stuck with your boss, right? Right. I yeah. mean, you can be self-employed, but even then you have obligations to your clients and you can't just come and go with your clients willy-nilly, but you, you, there is something with friendship that is an ongoing choice to be with the other person. And podcasts are kind of like that. Mm -hmm. There's an ongoing choice to listen or an ongoing choice not, or, or even the choices to listen at faster speeds or slower speeds or listen when you want. There's, there's a lot of autonomy and, and friendships are, are this very unique thing. And, and Jesus talks about friendship too. And he actually alludes to choice in relation to friendships and in John 15. So there's something even there, but, but yeah, so I find podcasts offer this way of understanding things. I think the best podcasts point to books in, in many ways, like, like hmm. they're not as good just as their own and they can almost replace important in-person friendships. And I have a fear of podcasts being a consumption for people instead of actually messaging someone and getting to know their neighbor. But there's a place for them. There's an important place for them um, in people's lives. And and yeah, so I, I very much believe in podcasts and I think they have a good, good way of uh, forming people in a way that is through this ongoing choice of two individuals or a you to the podcast host, you know, in an ongoing way. As we talk with Andrew around technology and theology, how to wrestle with these things, does the Bible ever feel overwhelming and maybe confusing or hard to believe? Well, our latest season of Scripture Untangled, which is a podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, will bring you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to inspire you to dive into the Bible and understand it for yourself. You can listen for free and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast or visit Scripture Untangled ca for more info scripture untangled that's interesting it's sort of like a you're sort of describing like a like a one-sided relationship i suppose um but there is like an intimacy to it or like yes. a, because you're this voice becomes so familiar to you their thoughts their thinking their approach even it's probably becomes predictable like as you and i as podcasters like how we ask a question or where we enter. Like, and that's interesting. You, maybe you do feel like you start to know the person. Um, they're even in your head. Yeah. They're in your head, literally with your huh. earbuds, right? Like it's, yeah. there's, there's an intimacy that started with the radio that was unlike anything that people experienced at that time. It was like Winston Churchill is in my living room. What? You know, you, right. that was, that was, and we, we. Powerful. I know, right? So, so there is something there where, and the audio quality is way better now, thanks to what we have today. Yeah. And so, um, with that, I mean, what are they, that expression of like, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, or these sentiments about, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, our friendships, 
our, any of our relationships, but certainly our friendships, they're influencing the trajectory of our life. Um, so if podcast is friendship, that's a really powerful place for some audio content. You're, you're putting a lot of pressure on me, Andrew. <laughs> uh, it is, you know, it how, is do, an important, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. yeah, it's an important role. I mean, and one of the things we need to be mindful of as podcast hosts is the way in which people listen to podcasts more than they listen to their pastor. And I worry about that. Mm. And I worry about the way in which people gravitate more towards, you know, a quote unquote movement or a blog or a podcast more than they do their own church. And I believe right. that God wants us to live in embodied communities who gather together and we are, we ought to have in-person relationships. So I never see podcasts as a, a replacement of that and, and podcasts should should promote, you know, those in-person relationships. I love second John and third John, um, because they're so short. And because John says, I have much to write to you. You know, it's kind of a weird thing to say in such a short letter in second John, he says, I have much to write to you. Um, but I want to do it. I want to see you face to face. So our joy may be complete. So, so I don't think podcasts will ever make our joy complete in the way that in-person friendships and membership to Christ's body in the head, uh, in his, in, as he's the head in the mob body in the church, uh, it can never replace that, but it can be part of the universal church. And it mm. can be something that, uh, yeah, is a burden on us to do it well, to take it seriously and, and to hopefully inform our listeners to grow closer to God in the same way that Paul's letters were circulated quite widely, even though, you know, yeah. it's an intimate thing. Like I've thought about that too, because there's, there's letters that were written by Paul to one person and we get to read that. And yeah. podcasting is like that conversation between two people. Okay. I'm not Onesimus. I'm not Philemon, but there is something that's, that's quote unquote biblical. It's similar to what the scriptures themselves do of intimate conversations between people. And then you get to, by being a listener, you get to listen in on that intimacy and those conversations. And, and so did this lead you to be, as you were thinking philosophically about podcasting, this led you to be a podcaster? Like what, I mean, podcasting, a lot, of, I think sort of like a running thing, if you're a podcaster is people always say, I want to start a podcast, but of course it's a ton of work and people mm -hmm. begin to quickly realize it's more work than they expected to continue it going. So why did you do this podcast? Uh, and like, tell it, just tell us about what, what you're up to. What, what is this project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so when I started that Bible study that I referenced earlier, way back 13 years ago or whenever it was, um, someone who joined was Joel Jacob. And he's a mechatronics engineer at the time, and, and he loves technology. He still loves technology. And we've been friends ever since. He lives in Toronto. And whenever we'd get together, it'd be like, oh, what about ChatGPT? Oh, what about AI? Oh, what about... And I would be always on the negative side, and he'd be on the positive side. But he would... He so desires for... Christians to use tech to God's glory, like faith tech does, very similar in terms of the heart disposition. Um, and I'm very concerned as I've used tech over times of how negative it is and how destructive it is. And we just have these great debates. And so it was kind of like, he wanted to start the podcast and he brought it up. And I joked like, no, that's a silly idea. My wife will think it's silly because my wife and I share the value of in-person relationship with our neighbors, getting to know them. But there's something about my life right now 
where in my life, I care for someone who has disabilities. And so that means I have a lot of unpredictability in my life. And that unpredictability is good and bad. It's good because, or it's bad because of the things that I have to deal with in relation to it. And it restricts me from some regular ministry opportunities. But what it does do is it gives me the, these free free periods of time where I can read a book or go deeper on this or record a podcast as long as Joel's really flexible and he is. So yeah, so we've we've kind of figured out this system and and because I had free time but I couldn't spend it in the evenings and weekends. Um it was it was something that kind of fit my schedule as a way for me to develop more in my communication skills because I want to pastor. So it's kind of prep, develop my friendship with Joel. And yeah, and if a few p- people listen and they are encouraged and can grow by it, all the better. And so the format is you two bantering on topics and disagreeing, agreeing, that kind of thing. Or do you have guests on sometimes? Like like um, like when you're talking about tech, it's sort of you're bringing your own opinions and expertise to the table and friendly disagreeing with a friend. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, we end up agreeing far more than I think we could set ourselves up as this great, great argument podcast. But truthfully, we just always end up finding ways of agreement. And then we bring on on guests for sure. Part of that is just, I love the excuse of talking to all these great people. Um, I don't know if you feel that way sometimes, but it's like, ooh, I can message this person and see if they come on my podcast and I can ask them the questions that I'm wrestling with after reading their book. And Mm -hmm. so that's just an enjoyable aspect for me. Um, But I don't, I don't, think that my podcast is in the top 10 or top 100, you know, like I, I would actually encourage people to go listen to other podcasts and listen to, to other speakers and and thinkers and read their books. And so it's almost a, a way of pointing to other good thinkers who have frankly, like I'm, I'm 33. I've only spent so much time. I, I haven't read as much as others have, and I'm, I'm trying to catch up, so to speak. So, yeah. And so along those lines, who are you? I know you're well read. Um, so for listeners of this podcast, you know, what is what is some of the stuff that's fascinating you right now? If you're wanting to like recommend books, thinkers, theories, um, practitioners, I'd love to to know what's uh, like, what, what are you passionate about right now in, in what you've been learning? Yeah, what an interesting, so many things I could go to now. Um, so there's, there's the broader theology of technology, which mm-hmm. I just think is a is a good base level to have. And so the two primary thinkers that I've learned from there are Tony Ranke and John Dyer. Both of them have have written kind of the theology of technology type books. Um, John Dyer's is from the Garden to the City, picturing how in the Bible we have in heaven a city, not just a garden. And what does that mean for us? What does it mean that the culmination of God's plan <clears throat> includes man-made creations? Um, and then in Tony Ranke's book, uh, God, Technology, and the Christian Life, he goes through pretty much any Bible verse that talks about technology. And his book is longer. There's a lot of Bible verses that talk about technology. And it's a very fascinating story of you know, you have the Tower of Babel, you have these negative things, and you have, you know, Cain and Abel in the fight there. And then all of a sudden, Cain is supposed to be a wanderer, and he settles instead of being a wanderer, and he settles in a city called <laughs> Wandering. It's a very interesting footnote in Genesis 4. But but out of Cain's lineage, you read at the end of Genesis 4, and it's like all the agriculture, all sorts of tools, iron making, it all comes out of his lineage. So God 
doesn't punish Cain right away, instead allows him to live so that, and this is just an interesting thought in itself, does God allow some of the most prideful, arrogant tech CEOs to continue on in their teching in order to bring about the type of, types of technology that God wants to use for his purposes? Um, so agriculture, iron tools, all came through a non-Christian, a non-believer. What about Tesla? What about social media? What about, you know, is Elon Musk the new Kane? I don't know. I don't know. It's just an interesting thought experiment. So that's that's one one thing that I'm thinking about. Um, the other thing on, on a more practical level is is distraction and how our technology distracts us and, and how do we work around that. And so in that context, um, you enter church, pastoral ministry, it's not just a theology out there in your mind, but which is unique. I will say, maybe I'll pause there and just to say what I appreciate about the opportunity to speak with you is um, there are a lot of people who are very pragmatic about technology or they are theologians, uh, but the, the coupling of the two is more unusual, you know, just because we can do X, should we do X? What are the consequences? How do we mm-hmm. think about that? I mean, my master's in theology, my thesis was on this topic. How do we think about integrating new uh, technology in light of the historic ways we've done so and what are the warnings we need to take from the church in the past? Um, so you do this in the context of church. You are, you know, part of a local church, you serve there, you're on the pastoral team, you have a seminary background. Uh, What is it that you wish wish that church leaders understood about technology? Like when you think of like that person across Canada and beyond, because people listening here are not just in Canada, um, you know, what, what are some of those things that when you come from not just... You're, you're a practitioner of the things that you're reading and thinking about. Um, what are some of those things that, oh, if only we would understand, dot, dot, dot. You know, what's that stuff that keeps you up at night? Yeah, the very first thing that comes to mind is we can't just use social media as, get off social media as like the application for our sermon. You know, go join join a small group, get off social media. Kind of these these very shallow depictions uh-huh. of technology as purely evil. And essentially, we need to think about it as a potential idol, like many things. And, you know, we can do this Mm. with sex. We can do this with gender. We can do this with work. Um, You know, you would never say to someone in your congregation, you need to quit being a hairdresser because that's distracting you from God's glory. It's like, no, 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 you can be a hairdresser and dress hair according to, to the glory of God. I'm not a hairdresser. I'm not going to speak well on that. Um, but, but so yeah, I would, I would say to pastors that they need to be thoughtful in their applications and they do need to bring up social media in their applications. It just can't just always be a negative, please. Mm. Um, and we need to think about in the same way that, that, I mean, I'd be interested even in your thoughts on this. Uh, you think about church history, there has been great uses of technology over time, whether it's the Romans road um, or it's the papyrus and ink that John used to write the letter in order to say, I'm going to visit you in person. And so technology can be a conduit um, for good things to flourish, whether that's podcasts or sermons or otherwise. Um so yeah, so I would say that I, I will say as I've gotten more into this space of 
theology and technology and the, and the metaverse and meta church that I'm very concerned about a hyper online push that really thinks we're going to move away from the practices in person of gathering or of like, you just think of the Lord's Supper. I'm sorry. You cannot click communion. Okay. You got to eat it. You got to eat of the bread. You got to drink of the cup. That's what we were meant to do, instructed like by physical, Jesus. physical, tangible. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, some people are like, oh, we need to give more sense experience uh, to a Sunday morning. And I'm like, practice communion every week. That's our sense experience of the bread and the cup and doing that together and seeing one another. And, and there's something and, there's something. and you're there. in the Baptist church saying this. Yes, <laughs> What yes, I mean I is am. you're not Catholic, you're not Anglican, uh, you know, some of these traditions where it is a weekly practice, uh, you know, it's the center of the service, you know. Anyways, it's interesting that you, just to make note that you're saying this from a different faith tradition. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I would consider myself a reformed Baptist. So I try my best to, to be in line with, with the history and not just the latest mm. thing that some Baptist leader has done in the States and copy and paste that in Canada. Mm. We need to, we need to be thoughtful about our tra- tradition um, as Baptists, not just you know, thinking that we can skip over 1900 years of church history and just do what we think is the tradition. Because that's what a lot of Baptist churches can end up doing. They're, they're, they are traditionalists. They are, they're just a practicing, practicing a tradition that's only 50 years old. Um, we need to connect to these, these grander traditions that uh, right. span across denominations. As we talk with Andrew about discipleship, about being formed, the ways we are being formed by the things we consume, there's this transformation happening. And I think transformation can feel like a bit of a buzzword these days. Like, what does transformation even mean? What does it look like? How are we changed and formed? Well, one of the places I have seen transformation so evident is in the stories and people who were former Compassion-sponsored children, that is, graduates or alumni of the Compassion program, who are now adults. And they're telling their stories of how sponsorship impacted them when they were a child. Like Rhea, who I have had the privilege of meeting. She's from the Philippines originally, and she has this impactful saying that knowing someone who has never met you, cares for you, it changes you. Rhea's story is a powerful highlight about how being sponsored built Christ-like confidence in her and empowered her to take her future a hold of it for herself, a future free from poverty. Today, she's passionate and she's an advocate for kids and sponsors a child of her own. I love this. She sponsors a child in the same community where she grew up, breaking more cycles of poverty for other families. Child sponsorship does transform lives. You can find out more about Rhea's story and others like her other alumni and learn about child sponsorship at compassion.ca slash if only. Compassion.ca slash if only. And the link is down in the show notes. Yeah, but what I appreciated was stood out to me is where you started this uh, this idea of the shallowness of the response, um, which I think in any category, any topic of church, when we remain shallow in our application of the, yes, you know, a preaching, you know, we preach the text and if the application is shallow, um, the application offered by, from the pulpit is shallow. Um, like, well, take a social media break. Like, obviously things are more complex than that around our relationship with technology or, um, 
you know, in, in any category, whether as you mentioned, some issues of like gender and sexuality, or we're talking about what we do with our money, or these issues are mm-hmm. very complex. And I think that we see even in the data of like when young people leave church, they are coming out of a context of like their youth leaders and whoever never addressed issues of science and technology and and some of these big issues of life that they're wrestling with when they go into the academia world, university, whatever, like, like they don't know what to do because these issues were addressed in such a shallow way in their upbringing that when they start to ask real questions or wrestle with implication, they don't know where to go for that. Um, so, but I mean, but no pastor can be an expert yes. on all these topics. So then I, I know the other side of this. So um, how do we, how do we do this? Is the, you know, your, your passion is technology. That's not everybody's passion. So, mm-hmm. uh, how, how, how do we encourage the, the leader in the local community to think about these things in a less shallow way for mm-hmm. the sake of those they lead? Yeah, I I first off just want to affirm what you're saying in that a pastor's time is limited and we can overburden pastors with having unrealistic expectations of them. Yeah. Um there's a book by Kelly Capick called You're Only Human. Um mm. and even just in that title, um you're only human. Um but it's recognizing that finitude is a good thing and that we we often in, in modern contexts um, have unrealistic expectations and there are endless demands upon each one of us and we feel it every day, right? And technology only accelerates that sense of ongoing demands. And yeah, technology and being smart about technology can be one of those, it can just add on burdens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do want to recognize that. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, what I've learned about technology is it's really just a way of accessing an understanding of the human heart and pastors need to do a good job of understanding the human heart. And, and as mm-hmm. they meet with people and talk with people, they'll understand, okay, this individual is drawn to social media because it connects them with a friend that they don't see in person as much anymore. Or they're drawn to social media because of really it distracts them exactly loneliness or, or these human heart issues. Right. And so that's, that's what the pastor needs to major in, Mm. in is understanding the human condition and how the gospel speaks into that. Um, And that's, that's my, that's my, even my greater burden than technology is, is, is their use of technology is, is kind of a reflection of us. Um, there's a passage in Psalm 115. It's talking about idols and talking about, oh, they can't see, they can't speak, and they're just made by human hands. And it has this very, very interesting line. Um, Psalm 115, I forget the ver- which verse number, but it says that, and the people who make them become like become them. Become like them. Yeah. And that's what we do with technology. Even we're, we're all creators online as soon as you what do you do? You create an online profile. You create this. You're, we're always creating online and we become like these online identities. And so what I would encourage pastors with is major on the human heart and major on understanding mm. your people. And so really, it's just a matter of speaking into technology and speaking about technology in a way that neither on one hand excludes the technologist because they think technology is only a negative, but also doesn't champion the idol of our age. You know, technology is a huge idol of our age and we need to speak against that as well. Mm. So the pastor needs to to guard against those two 
broad concerns and and they can have more discussion groups that dive in in on this. I think there's been a lack of um, you know, biblical discipleship in our day where we think that our Christians can get everything they need from one day a week in the morning for a 25 minute sermon or 45 minute sermon. Mm-hmm. like, And then we spend eight hours per day on these screens, yeah. which are actually the thing discipling us, forming mm-hmm. the spiritual formation that is happening, the mind, body, heart, soul formation that's happening on these screens. Some of that's okay, but some of it is not it, it, well, we become like the thing that we, we, like we spend. Yeah, we become like the thing that we're forming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a huge, I mean, it's interesting you bring up that scripture because I, just on a personal note, that scripture became very crystal clear to me in a time where I spent a few months in Thailand, um, involved in some ministry and English teaching and and seeing literal physical idols as we would think more typically of, of the word idol um, and how people were being, becoming like the thing that they Mm -hmm. worshipped. And yet we are the same. They just look different. There's different nuance to it. And of course, we're being formed by these things. But like, for example, another another thing that you wrote about online was this idea of the restless resting. And so if we are formed after Jesus and formed after the way of the God of the Bible. We see, of course, the seventh day he rested. We see that Jesus rested. He napped. He took fun, yeah. pleasure. Like like there were times, there were downtimes very um, significantly in his, both like the Sabbath practice, of course, as a Jew, but but just he, like, I love the idea of like, they, everyone's freaking out and he's taking a nap in the back of the boat. Um, yeah. There were these times of rest for him. And yet we don't seem to be able to chill. Um we're being formed in a different way by a lot of things. So can you talk to us about that? Talk to us about, about how to be more like Jesus in the resting thing and why can't we rest? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I want to be, be like, I mean, oh, pastoral is the word for it, but like there are so many pressures on us from so many angles. <clears throat> like I, I didn't grow up, like Joel talks about, um, he's my co-host on the podcast. He talks about growing up um, with more of a South Asian community and the pressures on becoming an engineer or a doctor. Huh. And that, you know, basically directed him away from ministry because you got to be a doctor um, or an engineer. And then, but I had a similar growing up in near Toronto of just adding to your resume. Um, and everything was about adding to your resume or everything was about getting the test to get to the resume, to get to mm. the job. And then uh, apparently life is good then, even though you formed all these habits of placing your, your self-value on achievement. Um, that's what you're taught, right? If, if it's all about the resume and then the job, you, you habituate a practice of I am my accomplishments. And as a Christian, what is your identity? We do not start with sanctification. We start with justification. Justification is, is yes, it is just as if I never sinned, um, but it is also just as if I lived the life of Jesus. Mm. Justification, as described in Romans 4, is that we are credited the righteousness of Christ. And so it's not, our, our identity is not that of our resume, it's Christ's resume. And when we see that and understand that the Christian life first starts with justification and then stemming from that is the sanctifying work still of God working through us, then all of a sudden it takes the pressure off, I think. 
Yeah. Because we don't have to earn a resume anymore. And the most important, you know, employer screen um, is the one of getting into heaven, so to speak, right? It's the, it's the what checklist do we need to meet in order to get into the Holy of Holies? Um, and that's already done. That is finished. And I just think that that is so crucial. And it's been so crucial in my life. You can hear me getting a little more passionate now because <laughs> mm. it's, it's just, that's what I need every day to be reminded of, of is that I am not my accomplishments. I am Christ's accomplishments and what Christ does in me. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and towards this, you know, whether it's practices in your own life or uh, things you know, again, maybe this is my permission for you to be hypocritical. <laughs> maybe you don't do all these things yourself or you're on the journey yourself towards them. But I'm not trying, I'm acknowledging that some of this can feel superficial. But if there are any um, practical things that you can point people at today, I think the classic thing is like, turn off your phone or whatever. But if there's anything that you practice in your household or or ways, maybe it's in your educational stuff, you're pursuing reading about this, but what are some ways that people can say, I want to be formed by Christ. I don't want to just be formed by these screens. I am aware that the pendulum has gone too far. Um, it, where where do we go from here? Are there, and permission for you to be hypocritical, knowing that you may or may not do all these things perfectly yourself. You probably don't. Um, I do not. You know, where do, where do people, where do people go? We want to be formed by Christ and not by these screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I'm trying to, to learn to do is to re-see the world. Um, to almost unlearn the world and learn it all over again. And what I mean by that is technology drives us towards um, novelty and there's just endless new. That's why we keep scrolling, right? We want to see something new to, to satiate, satiate that desire for new knowledge or a new friend interest or, or gossip or whatever it is. Sometimes sinful, sometimes not. Sometimes we, we care about people in our lives and we're connected online with them. And so we scroll because we want to see new information about people we care about. But it's always about that new, new, new. Hmm. And I want to pause and I want to look out at the world. And, and one thing I've been trying to do recently is look at squirrels. Like I, I live in a city, you know, Kitchener's not that big, but it's still a city. And I don't have pets. I don't have, I don't live near a zoo. And you, you hear all these people going on trips and they're looking for an experience of transcendence, right? Of, of God speaking into their life through big mountains or sunsets on the beach or whatever it is. But, but for me, I want to look at the squirrel and be like, what is going on with that squirrel? Mm. God made that squirrel. What's it doing right now? Oh man, it's just like, I've seen squirrels in a totally different way in the last like couple months, just like looking at them and they're so playful, yet they're so fearful. Mm. The way they, they just, they're always on alert, head spinning, and then they slow down and they chase after each other and, and then they speed up and slow down. And, and I've just kind of enjoyed squirrels. And I'm not saying that this is, you know, a distinctly Christian practice, but I think we've lost something in our distracted age of, wonder, of contemplation, mm-hmm. of worshiping the God of all things, and to re-see the world, to see it as God's world, every single aspect of it. Even your computer um, is is God's computer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he created the ground with its latent potentiality 
um, with its silicon and lithium and all those sorts of things to turn into a computer. It's God's computer and it's God's squirrel and it's God's street and everything is God's. And to just try to re-enchant re the world um, or see it as, as more spiritual than sometimes we, we see it. Um, and that's, that's something I'm working on. I don't do it all the time, but I find that practice of slowing down and, and looking and attending to things um, helps guard my soul against a distracted life. Mm. Yeah. And it's this, this as I appreciate your approach is the being on guard um, that it's this paying attention. Um, what is forming us asking questions about if we want to be formed by that thing and, and then making some simple change and not shallow, but simple, I think maybe simple on the yeah. other side of shallow, um, that, that we can start to do. But I think, as we said, you know, you put this burden on pastors and, you know, what I think your words are doing too is encouraging people to take ownership themselves, that no one can do this for you. You're responsible for your own life, your theology, your development as a follower of Jesus. It's not somebody else's. So, um, you know, as we, as we kind of come to the close on this, ultimately, like, why does this, you know, matter to you? Or maybe the, the last question I'll ask you is like, what is at stake when you talk about you want to help others imitate Jesus in a digital age? Um, wh why? Like, you know, maybe it's sort of obvious, but to get Andrew into your own heart, um, what is at stake here? I think the future is at stake. I think our loved ones, mm. I think about there's people in my family who aren't believers. Um, there's people on my street who aren't believers. Um, and I, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, Joel and I were just texting uh, yesterday and we were saying, man, it'd be so cool if there was an unbeliever who listened to our podcast and became a Christian. You know, that maybe, maybe it'll even have that effect. We think about it as helping Christians use technology as Jesus would if he lived today. Um, but, but because it's kind of, Maybe people are interested in technology and they listen for that reason. I just have a heart for the lost. And I think because I have a heart for the lost, I have a heart for Christians reaching the lost. And I want Christians to be more formed by Christ than technology. I want right. them to be more formed by the virtues that Christ teach teaches. I think that that aspect of virtue is so missing sometimes uh, when we think about ethics. We only think about the rights and wrongs and the products of what we do rather than the practices that we follow. And so if you think about the virtues of Jesus, well, what are they, Andrew? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. If you just think about that, love, joy, peace, self-control, like what does it mean to, to cultivate joy or self-control? Those are, those are habitual things. And, uh, and I think if we practice these habits in all of life, when people are looking and when they aren't looking, I think of Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, don't, don't do things in front of others. You know, it, it's, it's almost counterintuitive or contradictory with being a light on the hill, but we need to practice these things in private so that when we are a light on the hill, people will see a difference in us, that we're not gravitated towards technology or social media or the affirmation of others because we find our affirmation in Christ. And so we live differently because of it. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's really my burden. Yeah. Well, Andrew, where do you want to send people to find more today about you, your writing, your podcast? Is there a place you want to direct people? And we'll link it. We'll make sure to link it in the show notes. 
Yeah, well, we people can check out our podcast and listen in. What would Jesus Tech um, is the name of it, and our website is simple enough. What would Jesus Tech dot com, um, and that would be the main thing. Sure, you can connect with me on Twitter. That's probably where I'm most. I post the most if you're a Twitter person. If you do not go on Twitter, then don't go on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I've been writing for the Gospel Coalition Canada, so uh, you can check out some of my articles there. I have a sub stack, but yeah, just don't worry too much about it. I'm I'm kind of dabbling in this online world of creating content without the content <laughs> yeah. com- consuming me. I don't want to look at all of my life as like, ooh, this would be a good illustration. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. So the, the two places, would whatwouldjesustech.com and... Uh, and the Gospel Coalition Canada. I'm a big fan of the Gospel Coalition. And yeah, you can check out their website where I've written a couple articles. Andrew Noble, What Would Jesus Tech? Thank you. I think you've brought um, some threads and some uh, breadcrumbs that I hope people will follow down some interesting paths after this. So thanks so much for your insight, your own passion on this. And um, as we said, that we want... Um, even that, that technology would not just be about what you do at work and then at church, you're clicking the PowerPoint that we would think like holistically about how technology affects our life, our work, our faith. So thanks so much for your work in that. Thanks for having me and thanks for what you do as well. Appreciate it. Andrew, thank you so much for joining on the podcast today. And we are now, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we're taking a break until June for a new episode. So I want to tell you some things you can expect. As I said at the beginning, we've got Addison Bevere. Addison Bevere is from Messenger International and the Bevere family are uh, kind of known in certain circles of Christianity uh, for what they do with writing and speaking and content. And they do a lot of stuff, even the younger generation around dating and romance. So you may know the Bevere family and they reach millions around the globe with their content. We also have Hosanna Wong. She's a preacher woman extraordinaire, a spoken word artist. You're going to love what she has to say. And also someone coming up this next group of episodes we're going to be releasing starting in June, Pete Gregg, who is the global leader of 24-7 prayer. So I think you're going to love these conversations. Thank you so much to our sponsors on this batch of episodes, Compassion Canada, Lifting People from Poverty in Jesus' name, and Scripture Untangled, the podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. Supporting them helps support this podcast. Sharing, liking, rating, subscribing, all that stuff you can do helps support this podcast and helps it get out to more people. So thanks so much for joining us wherever you found us today. And we'll see you for the next batch of episodes.